Digital Marketing Radio, episode 265. Where does email marketing fit into your overall marketing strategy? Digital Marketing Radio with David Bain. Hi, I'm David Bain, and this is Digital Marketing Radio, the show for in-house agency and entrepreneurial marketers who want to stay on top of the latest tools, tactics, and trends as shared right here by today's modern marketing masters. Is email marketing strategy a bit of an afterthought for you? Now, perhaps you don't consider email to be a serious marketing channel and whatever you send is reactive and not planned as part of an integrated marketing strategy. In this episode 265 of Digital Marketing Radio, we are looking at how email marketing can be a significant part of the modern marketing mix in 2022 and beyond. Joining me to discuss that is a lady who's a chartered marketer and awarded Fellow of the IDM with over 10 years marketing experience. She's author of a new book called Marketing Strategy, Overcome Common Pitfalls and Create Effective Marketing. And she's founder and strategy director at Let's Talk Strategy. Welcome to DMR, Jenna Tiffany. Thanks for having me. Brilliant to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Jenna. Well, you can find Jenna over at letstalkstrategy.co.uk. So, uh, Jenna, am I right in my thinking that email marketing doesn't necessarily always seem to be considered as a serious marketing channel by many, many brands? Yeah, I think I think that's a fair uh, observation to make. I think it's an area that typically has been almost like pushed into the corner and email just happens and it just generates results and it doesn't necessarily get into those top budget conversations when it's competing with the likes of PPC, pay-per-click and SEO, for example, who tend to take a big proportion of the marketing budget. Um, but what is really interesting in the email space, particularly at the moment, but what has been happening over the last couple of years is that businesses have started to appreciate the channel and the revenue that it drives because it is the highest, uh, has the highest ROI out of any digital marketing channel goes to email. Um, it is a, a cheap medium if you looked at it in, in terms of the cost. And sometimes that's why it struggles with the budget conversation. But you just have to look at the value being assigned to marketing platforms like the likes of MailChimp that have just been um, acquired for $12 billion. You know, that is a company that started as an email marketing software that is core to their software. And I think that in itself speaks volumes of where the email industry is going, the value that's assigned to email and companies that may be looking to sell or get acquired are typically asked, what is the engagement rate? What's the list size that you have? And it's it started to then really trigger that whole value piece in in email and it's quite incredible mailchimp being acquired for that because it's a it was a relatively late starter to the the email marketing conversation the email marketing brands because i, I used email marketing a long time before they seemed to exist. Um, maybe they existed for a long time and I wasn't aware of them, but uh, then I used um, Aweber for, for, for quite a while before I was even aware of, uh, of MailChimp. So quite incredible and does show you, I guess, how serious and significant email marketing is nowadays. Um, the way you described email actually reminded me a bit of SEO because I've got a Quite, quite an SEO background and to a certain degree SEO is pushed into the corner and uh, not given much budget compared with um, PPC out there. So 
What, what would you say is a good and effective um, email marketing strategy in general at the moment? Are, are newsletters still at the heart of everything? Um, is it more about uh, email that appears to be personal to individuals and written in a less snazzy way than newsletters? Yeah, great question. The I suppose the first starting point with email, and this is the bit where this doesn't necessarily happen often enough, <laughs> um, would be actually defining what those objectives are. And I think the reason why that doesn't necessarily start in the conversation of when you're using email as a channel is because of that budget piece. It's just mm-hmm. not seen initially to be driving that value, although it does, it just gets underreported or not reported at all um, in quite a lot of organisations. So it would really be starting with those objectives of what are you trying to achieve with your email? You know, it, it might be that you, you're you looking to grow your list if you have a small list. It might be that actually you want to uh, segment your list and, and engage a particular type of audience that you are targeting or for a particular type of product. Then once you've defined that, that then goes into, okay, what do we need to be sending that audience to keep them engaged? Because that would be different for each company, for each audience in terms of what's going to work in terms of the the actual communication that you send, but also the content that's included in there as well. So newsletters, yes, are still a very, uh, I would class them as a core element. They're quite consistent across businesses. They do need to be tailored to the audience and um, there's an interesting trade-off with personalization um, that you mentioned there about you know how including the person's name and thinking about those products or items that they might have purchased previously or used if it's a service but the the switch off there was being too personalized is when the customer feels like you know a lot more than what they've actually told you So this kind of goes into that question of tracking and cookies and all of that element. And personalization is really effective. It's been proven time and time again to drive results to customers if it doesn't feel invasive, if it doesn't feel that someone sat outside your window watching you, knowing more about you than what you've actually told the organization. So there is, you have to be sensitive with that um, element. But yes, sending it uh, as personalized and relevant as possible and really thinking about the customer, the end subscriber, and not just thinking about what you might have to sell or offer that week or day when you're sending that email campaign. Okay, great thoughts there. Um, But you also mentioned that um, the conversation actually should start off with the customer and the objectives and obviously with strategy as well. Um, So, Maybe going back to marketing strategy in general, how often should marketing strategy be set and how should an email marketing manager campaign internally within an organisation to have more email involved in the conversation? Yeah, so the danger here is that you set and forget and that happens quite often in email, um, particularly where automation comes to play, where There might be a welcome journey, for example, which I do see to be one of the most important journeys to be thinking about that could be set up as an automation and that's just forgotten about and it's been running for years and years and years and it has out-of-date information in and, and that needs a review period. And 
the same, as you've mentioned there, to be said for the strategy piece. How often you need to review that is quite a difficult element because it really needs to be tailored to the organization. But I would say as a minimum every six months when we're looking at times of COVID and coming out of COVID, there's been lots of consumer behavioral changes Mm -hmm. that could impact your tone of voice, that could impact the communications that you send. Um, So during those times, really thinking about reviewing at least every three months, it doesn't have to be uh, a really audious process where it takes weeks um, and months to review, but really just a quick check in. Does this still resonate with the audience? Is it still relevant? Does it actually represent the context that the audience are going to be experiencing the email in? And that that's the key piece. Um, you mentioned at the beginning that I have just published a book I published in May. And in that book, I have um, a new method of creating objectives called SCALE. And really they're thinking about um, them being strategic, really considering your audience, considering it for your business, having your audience as part of your objective, because I think that's the piece that we typically um, forget about, we're very honed into the organisation that we're working for. And then thinking about the lift, um, what that needs to look like to be valuable to the business to drive that value piece and help that conversation and then what does the end goal you know when does that time frame need to be set by and that could be um, in a few weeks it could be months it could be for the first quarter it could be in a year's time but making sure you have some target end date so you can then refer back to that when you're measuring success superb absolutely superb and just uh taking notes myself there as well so email doesn't obviously sit silo. Uh, it's part of the communications mix and people, I guess, get um, exposed to email as a result of interacting in some way with another piece of content. So w- what are your broad thoughts on how email sits with other marketing channels? Uh, what, what should it be used to do. Um, For instance, um, should you try and really mix retargeting with with email to actually generate more subscribers or open rates? Um, What are your general general thoughts on that? Yeah, so email is quite an interesting channel because it typically will feature throughout the customer journey's touch points all the way through. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily just start with email or just end with email. It it comes in and out when customers are looking for information, when they're deciding whether or not your solution is going to fit their need and their want. Um, But also comes in once they've made their purchase as well to keep your company front of mind, to keep that engagement, to keep the conversation going. So it does typically come all the way through. Um, Email has for a number of organizations, particularly those that we've worked with um, in in my agency, um, has actually driven the most amount of quality visitors. What I mean by that is when subscribers have selected a piece of content in the email and they've clicked through to the website, they have then been those that have spent the most amount of time on the website. They've visited the most amount of pages on the website. So thinking about how you could relate um, maybe there's some some keyword research that you have from your paid advertising. Maybe there's some elements from your SEO that you're focusing on and feeding that into your email content plan 
and your email campaign plan will really start to elevate that and tie things together and and vice versa as well. There'll be elements that in email work really well, like in the subject line, for example, there'll be particular content that will work really well. Something to test on social media and, and vice versa and share those learnings across the different channels. And I think then you get a much better picture of who your audience is, what do they like and not maybe not engaged with? What should we be doing more of? What should we do less of? And what actually haven't we tried across all of those channels? Um, for me, I see a, you know, it should be a full marketing mix. We should never just be putting all our eggs into one basket or one channel. Um, but going back to what you mentioned there, there is still, unfortunately, a lot of silos in place. So just being able to have that conversation of, okay, what did you learn from our audience on social media last month, for example? And there'll be some nuggets from there that you can use across other channels. And that starts that starts breaking down those barriers of silos. Okay. So email key, I love what you say about um, the quality of visits from email, emphasizing that when people know you, when people recognize your brand, then they're much more likely to engage with what you do. And I guess more willing to potentially buy as a result of doing that. So building an email list is absolutely key. How, how do you build an email list in 2021? Yeah, it's a big, um, it is a big challenge. And um, I know the quick win approach that sometimes is taken is to buy a list. Please don't do that. <laughs> it's, um, it will not bring the value that you hope it will. It's an expensive, it's an expensive uh, place to start. Um, and I know that that then means that it takes longer for you to grow that list. And I think that is the biggest challenge is growing your list, particularly if you're a new organization, you might be a startup and you see that you can buy a list, it will give you a good head start. But not having that, those subscribers not necessarily consenting directly to your organization means that you're going to start creating a bad representation of your organization if you start sending these emails to potentially a very cold list. Um, we actually had a, an organization contact us a, a month ago um, to help them warm up a cold list. And um, that is the danger of it. That you, It's that brand piece that you've just mentioned there in the inbox of being recognized. And if you continuously send to a list that you've purchased that they don't necessarily know who you are, that starts a bad, it's a bad footing. Um, really thinking about where you can tie those other channels in is important here. For B2B organizations, events is a good way to start growing your list. Um, having a, a unique piece of content or a unique offering that only you can get as a subscriber. So for an example, it might be that you have a um, really good latest piece of research is going to be of interest to your audience or you might have VIP events or products that you can promote to your customer base. Um, starting that area then starts to also develop of what they're interested in. They start to find out more about what you can offer. It starts that more human connection than just buying a cold list of data because that you then have 100 email addresses, for example, to start with. When you're offering something like a white paper or more content or perhaps um, offering the opportunity for someone to sign up to watch a virtual summit, is it better just to ask for name and email address or is it better information for the business, lower conversion rates, but better information to actually ask for more data from people? Yeah, the 
The key, the key question here to ask is what, what do you want to do with that data once you've captured it? And that has to be really clear at the point of sign up as well to the person given that data. But if it is just to download your research and, and to read that research and, and that's what they're interested in, an email address and potentially a name would be enough there. This is where you can then start to go through gradual profiling where the next interaction with your organization, you might then ask something else to get some more information about that particular person if you have the software that's capable of doing that. Otherwise, I'd really strongly recommend, uh, you know, recommend avoiding asking lots and lots of questions for lots of lots of data at the start because it's it's really off-putting and then you're setting up a, a premises that you're going to use all of that data the next time you communicate with that person. And if you don't use all of that data, that person then is going to be like, okay, so why did you capture that if you're now asking me that question where I already gave you the answer? So you have to be really careful there with that trade-off. It's almost like catching up with a friend who you've known for a really long time. They tell you lots of different stories, lots of different things. You get to know them really, really well. And then you meet, meet up with them again and you've forgotten everything that they told you. And they're like, okay, um, I told you all of this. I thought we were friends. And that's, mm. that's the human element of, of data capture that we really need to be thinking about. Or like interviewing people twice for your podcast and answering, asking the same <laughs> questions all over again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, you talked about gradual profiling, and that's something that is appealing for both users and marketers alike. What's some software that you can perhaps recommend that does a good job of that? Yeah, I think for... B2B, mainly for B2B organizations, HubSpot does do a good job of gradual profiling. Um, it will recognize a visitor coming back. It will then update those forms if you're going to capture data again or you have some form of, um, or you have something where it's gated um, content. Um, or if they're going through a demo, for example, a demo request or anything like that. Um, it will then not ask the same question twice. It will then ask another question that you've put into the system. You then get to the sales team then, you know, they really like that because then they feel like they're not starting off on just an email address and a first name. They're, you know, they have a little bit more information in there. Also, it doesn't feel so invasive in a B2B environment. Um, B2C, I haven't seen one that I would say, right, yes, I recommend that. I think you've just got to be really careful in a B2C environment, that it's not, that the data that you're capturing really is necessary. So if you're a clothing brand, for example, yes, you might need to understand the size, um, but how, how, how are you then going to use that information other than just filtering the search results on the website itself? Can you then use that to segment your audience and only set, show them the products that you have available in that size? You know, that's something that's then really useful. The more that organizations do that, the more that consumers are willing to give that information. Um, because time and time again, research has shown that consumers are willing to give this data if they get something in return that's valuable to them. So if, it, if that means that then they get relevant content, they get relevant offers, they get relevant discounts based on what they've purchased before, then of course, I'm happy to give that information because there's a trade-off there. But if organizations just take that information and use it for their own internal benefit, but don't actually present that back to the customer, that's where the customer's then not as open to providing that detail. 
Yeah, I've seen software like Aweber, like ConvertKit, be able to do things like uh, incorporate links within initial signups to ask people further questions and then maybe tag people as a result of doing that. But it doesn't seem to be the most intuitive and all-encompassing way to deliver that gradual profiling. And that's why I was just wondering if there's anything better out there. But um, I guess it's an opportunity for a software developer in the B2C space or in the small company space to actually offer something a little bit different. Um, the other thing that um, I think could be a little bit better is... Uh, preference centers for consumers uh, to say things like, I would prefer to be um, communicated with um, using email, using chat, using um, SMS, other forms of marketing, and to automatically be able to opt in or out to multiple different forms of content in one preference center. And, and mm. that's what I'd like to see, but I don't think I've seen something like that. Are you aware of something like that? The most creative way of capturing that information that I've seen, and it isn't, it wasn't classed as a preference center, but it was a preference center in, in the back end of the system, but the consumer didn't see that, mm-hmm. was using imagery and having an interactive email. So anything that was selected um, or having, um, or even an interactive landing page where it could be swiped or clicked, um, you know, for a holiday company, for example, they had two different types of um of holiday staycation or a beach resort and there's just two images you select one that then dictates what the next option will be and in behind all of that that the consumer doesn't see is that's cap- that's capturing the preference center information and yeah, I, like I think that's the way forward yeah and i think that's intuitive to the customer they can swipe they can click they know what to do it's not it's not a case of going to this really boring gray page where you then click these different radio buttons, you click a tick box and you select your option. It's much more interactive and fun. It's like next generation surveys. Uh, I mean, I'm a fan of the way that Naked Wines go about acquiring customers using paid promotion on Twitter and uh, driving people towards a survey. And your survey is um, how much do you think a bottle of wine should cost? And it doesn't feel as if actually you're being opted into an email list, which you, you obviously are. Yeah, see, that that's just, yeah, it's a different way of framing it, isn't it? It's, it's more, um, it's just about tell us what you think about this and actually making it a little bit more of a conversation. And yeah. on social, that definitely is something that will work really well. But it's the same for email as well. That It's that conversation piece that I think sometimes we just miss because we, as marketers, we're like, right, we need to capture this information. We need to understand this. And sometimes you can't just go out and just ask that question. You're not necessarily going to get the answer, you know, get so, any answers uh, back. I mean, as I mentioned, people do use WhatsApp, they use Facebook Messenger, um, other platforms out there that, are other, that, that aren't email. Is email not going to be be replaced by one of these different types of communication at some point in the future? Oh, if I had, you know, a pound for every time I've been asked that question, I would be very rich right now. Um, No, I think I will put my hat on that. The reason why I say that, and there's a couple of reasons, but predominantly if you think about when you log in, and I know that you can now use your your phone number as well but when you can log in to the likes of social media they're asking for an email address i think if you look at the likes of acquisitions that are taking place that we mentioned at the beginning about mailchimp acquisition but also looking at the likes of twitter where you can now actually email 
Um, you can you can create email campaigns within Twitter itself. They've recently just bought another software to do that. I think there's a lot of movement going on within the email space where it, it will stay core. I think the biggest challenge to email um, is the quality um, it's the quality of the engagement in terms of actually getting the engagement from subscribers if they get constantly bombarded. There could be a switch off element there and it could be difficult to, to get that attention. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of that. Um, I think that is the key piece of really focusing on what we were saying at the beginning about the relevancy element, but I don't see it being replaced. I see it being complementary to other communication channels, but still being one of the core ones. Great. I, I knew what you were going to say as an answer there, but uh, I just thought I'd ask just in case um, I could uh, persuade you to uh, to move on to another ship at some point in the future. Uh, let's... Let's segue to part two of our discussion. So it's now time for Jenna's thoughts on the state of digital marketing today. So starting off with... Secret software. So um, Jenna, share a lesser known MarTech tool that's bringing you a lot of value at the moment and why that tool is important for you. Yeah, sure. I'm not sure if it's lesser known, but when I was writing my book and actually when when the team and I are writing any copy, lengthy copy, we use a tool called Scrivener. I think that's how you pronounce mm-hmm. it. And... It's really, I really liked it for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it doesn't crash like Word does every two minutes when you have a really big document, (laughs) which tends to freeze and and just give up. Um, But also you can set your limits within there in terms of what word count you're aiming for. It gives you a countdown. It's... um, it can be basic in its format, so I find it's less distracting because of that and and much easier to use. And it's purely built, that tool has been built for writing. So for me, it was it was really good to be able to just create those subfolders, create those sub-elements when I was writing my book, have an area for research, an area for where I was working on chapters, where I might have had some feedback from the publishers. And I could just have that all in one place, all in one screen, and not have to go to multiple different documents. And for me, it was it, it really took away that headache. And I really, really enjoyed using that tool. So myself and the team and the copywriters use that on a regular basis. Wow, superb. Well, that tool was recommended one time before on Digital Marketing Radio, a long time ago, about 2014, 2015. And I was trying to find out which episode it was, but I can't quickly find out just now what it was. Um, But I remember the gentleman um, pronouncing it Scrivener, uh, but he was based in the States. So I'm not sure if that was (laughs) the US pronunciation versus... uh, uh, British English version, but it's it's great to hear that a tool still exists and continues to get better. But let's move on from something that you currently use to something that you're going to use. So that is next on the list. So what's one marketing activity or tool that you haven't tried yet, but you want to test soon? Yeah, this is an interesting question. So it's not really, I suppose you could see it as a marketing activity. Um, it's not a tool. For me, the area that I'm really... I'm keeping my eye on and I'm trying to get my head around is NFTs mm-hmm. and that whole space of NFTs. I saw that Gary V who, um, you know, I'm, I'm not his number one fan, but I saw that he was being, <laughs> being interviewed in the States and he was talking about NFTs and he's, he's drawn, he's created these drawings that are going to auction and then he's digitalized them and um, almost made a marketing activity out of it. And I am just keeping my finger on the pulse with that. I've, I struggle to get my head around NFTs 
Um, but it's definitely very hot space right now. So I'm I'm just kind of keeping my ears to the ground on that and just watching that space. That's a great thought. Um, I, I, I let you, I think I'm aware of them. Um, I, I know it's some form of digital token related to blockchain and um, a way of aiding transactions on the blockchain. But it, it it's difficult to really imagine many real life business scenarios. Um, so it, it feels like um, people taking maybe a little bit of a punt, but it's probably me not completely understanding what it's likely to be used for in the future. But it's, um, it's intriguing. And yeah, th- thanks for bringing that one up. Yeah, sure. I was gonna say, I think in a business transaction, the one area where it might come up which is an area that that I was thinking about a few weeks ago was with logos branded brand logos Mm -hmm. and maybe there's a transaction element there on the blockchain when you buy a company you also buy their logo as an nft it's a very interesting space there I think there's there may be some potential I'm not sure I'm I'm like you I'm kind of just watching the space but I'm very intrigued by that Okay, so it's potentially a way of protecting trademark as well. Yeah, potentially. I think there's quite a lot of discussion about that on the blockchain, um, which for companies that start now, great, you could have that on there. But for legacy companies, you know, it's that that transition time, isn't it, between a company that's existed for 30 years to get up to speed and and have all of that trademark information also on the blockchain and then potentially have their logos and NFT is going to take some time. But for any new organization starting now, they could start that process and be really quite ahead of of a lot of competitors if that is the way that things move forward. Possibly. I mean, it sounds like a conversation that we could be having in the mid-90s about the internet. Yeah, it <laughs> Do does feel internet- a bit like, and I feel like that, as if I'm watching it from afar, it's like the dot-com boom that you hear a lot of people talk about. And I almost, I look at it through that lens. It's funny that you say that. That's how I look at that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of people have described the blockchain as the next generation of the internet. It's, um, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, it solves it solves a lot of, it solves a lot of problems, but I don't think it solves enough yet. So I think it do, it could solve some of the privacy concerns that people currently have. But then there's some elements of NFTs where I don't even know how that is GDPR compliant. So that there's some, it's it's a good starting place. And I think it has got a lot of potential. I think there is an element where we, we probably will need something like the blockchain but i think it's still got a lot of maturity this sounds like a conversation that needs to be continued and uh explored in further depth but uh yeah thanks so much for bringing it up shall we move on to the this or that round so this is the quick response round 10 quick questions just two rows here try not to think about the answer too much and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion so use it wisely are you ready yeah i'm ready i think (laughs) TikTok or Twitter? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or podcast? YouTube. Traffic or leads? Leads. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Ads or influencers? Ads. 
Google Ads or Facebook Ads? Google Ads. Email marketing or chat marketing? Email. Martech Stack or all-in-one platform? Martech Stack. One-to-one or scale? One-to-one. No, both. And the only one that I heard an um in front of was Google Ads or Facebook Ads. Why is that? Yeah, that's quite a tricky one. Some companies, some companies, maybe that should have been a both, actually. It probably should have been in hindsight, but I wasn't allowed to think about it. So I'll, I'll put it back to that. But um, some organizations, you know, they're, they're really successful with Facebook Ads um, and wouldn't work so well in, in the Google space, which is why I was like, mm, so I should have probably gone both of that. Can any business be successful using Facebook ads? I've seen some success, surprisingly. I know I, I also do get very surprised with that element. But yeah, we've worked with um, a few brands, particularly in the e-commerce D2C space, where they've done incredibly well on Facebook advertising. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily something that will continue for years and years and years, whereas I think Google ads are more consistent over a time frame. Well, let's move on to the $10,000 question. If I were to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? This is really tough, this question. So I hope everyone struggles with this one. Um, I think for me, I mean, it seems, uh, seems a lot of money for what I'm about to say, I guess, but it would be like an intensive language training course um so i'm currently learning portuguese part of my business is based in lisbon and then i have um my other um part of the business and team is based in london and whilst i can speak a little bit of portuguese it's very little and i feel that there would be a lot more business opportunity if i could speak much more portuguese so i guess i would want to do this intensive never leave the room for three days course on portuguese come out completely fluent and um i would measure that then in terms of business over the next 12 months within uh, with portuguese speaking nationals and organizations that is a an unusual answer but a, a, a great and interesting answer i used to work for a big e-commerce business that had a big office in porto and I'm aware that there are many highly technical, well-educated people in Portugal, and um, it's 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 a it's a good place. It, it obviously costs less to live than it does in somewhere like London. Why did you actually end up selecting Portugal? Yeah, I I really wanted to get. Um, uh, you know, the goal was let's for strategies to grow the organisation. We had a lot of European-based clients. And this was pre-Brexit timing, but Brexit was kicking around in conversation. And I thought, well, maybe actually we would do better as a business to have that base in the UK, but then have a base in Europe that I could then, I was traveling a lot at the time, um, that I could then use as a base and travel between when I'm speaking in the likes of Germany and and um, go from there to the States and, and so on. So when I was looking at this, I was looking at France. I looked at Germany. Yes, uh, they speak a lot of English in Germany as well. Very, very good English. Looked at Spain and then looked at Port Portugal. And they had brilliant connections to two airports. 
really like the lifestyle, really like the people, the culture, the weather's obviously amazing. Um, and for me, it was just, I knew a few people in Portugal and it was just fairly relatively easy and straightforward to set up my company there as well and have that base. And so I took it from there. Um, but one element I completely underestimated was the language. And um, it is very, very difficult language to learn. There's six ways of saying the same word. Wow. And it's um, it's just very, very complicated for, for English-speaking people to be able to learn because it's a very they don't frame the sentence in the same way as English in the same order so you can't do a direct translation which makes it really difficult to remember and to be able to piece a sentence together did you consider so motor as well um no I didn't I didn't consider motor I really wanted to have like a main I wanted to be in a main city um in that was still really connected to Europe. I know Malta is, but for me, that I could then just drive across to Spain if, if I needed to, for example, or I could get a ferry or I could do X, Y, and Z. And so I really wanted to be very well connected um, if I ever needed to to take a trip anywhere. Um, so for me, yeah, I mean, I really love, I love the love the country i think it's very it's very very beautiful it's very up and coming lisbon's an amazing city so is porto um and it's very up and coming so there's lots of opportunity here especially in in the email world to develop that further interesting well, i'm sure you'll get some people booking weekend trips just by your description of the country there uh, to finish off let's shift the focus to someone else who deserves it. So that is a magical marketer. So who's an up and coming marketer that you'd like to give a shout out to? What can we learn from them and where can we find them? Yeah, sure. So I have been interviewing lots of different business owners, marketers, entrepreneurs for the marketing strategy series, um, which has been part of the launch for my book and different case studies and quotes and reviews that have been included in there. But really to I created that series. It's just a 13-episode series just to dig deep into what drives marketeers, both established and up-and-coming new, um, and what would they what would they tell their younger, younger selves um, to help those up-and-coming marketeers. And one of the people that I interviewed um, is called Sarah Merkel, and she uh, was previously the senior loyalty officer for Action for Children, which is a charity in the UK, and is now the CRM lead for Third Space Learning, so an educational company. Um, but she had such a she has such a great um, grounding of marketing. She has a real focus on the end recipient. So uh, in the book and what she was talking about in the marketing strategy series is that for Action for Children was how they connected with their donators at a time that was really difficult during COVID to, you know, drive those donations. Um, so a lot of focus elsewhere um, and how they got creative with that, how she was able to tailor their communication to their do donators to increase um, the actual amount of money that they raised. And she's, she's very, very inquisitive in her process, but also very practical. So she appreciated that there would be a sign-off process. It's going to take some time. And 
she really took it upon herself to break down those barriers and really try to push home the benefit of doing the campaign. Um, it's actually called Boycott My Bed. Um, to do that campaign, it's been one of their most successful campaigns they've ever done. They're looking at running it every year. And for me, I just really liked her enthusiasm and drive to really think about that end person and what's going to be valuable to them and how can we drive that value to increase that donation and to connect them to the charity. And I really, really liked her approach. Oh, a great recommendation and um, a great episode. This was episode 265 of Digital Marketing Radio, where Jenna Tiffany from Let's Talk Strategy shared some great specific tips on email marketing, including um, thinking about your audience when considering objectives, thinking about your strategy, the fact that email has multiple touch points. Um, email also drives quality visitors as well. So don't just look at the quantity of your visitors to your website. Look at what they're doing and you'll probably find that people have heard of you before and are visiting as a result of an email are probably more likely to spend longer on your website and more likely to potentially buy as well. You also shared that email isn't going away at all anytime soon. Your secret software was um, Scrivener and your magical marker, marketer was Sarah Merkle. Jenna, what's the best social platform for someone to follow you and to say hi? Yeah, either Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm just there at Jenna Tiffany. Um, and feel, t feel free to reach out as well via our website, letstalkstrategy.co.uk. Superb stuff. Well, I'll make sure there's links to that, um, to all the resources that you mentioned, including um, Scrivener and Sarah Miracle on the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. I've been your host, David Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts and YouTube shows for B2B brands over at castingcred.com. Until we meet again, stay hungry, stay foolish, and stay subscribed. Aloha. DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio.com digital